Let's do that hockey. All right, welcome back to Dauber Prospects Radio, and I'm joined now by uh, host of the Steve Laidlaw podcast, the appropriately named, uh, none other than Steve Laidlaw. How's it going, Steve? I am fantastic. Before this call, I went for a nice yog, and then I got a little stretch on, and then sorted out some technical issues on my side so <laughs> i'm feeling i'm feeling like i accomplished that one heck of a lot with uh with this early evening nice what's a yog well i jog i just saying it the anchorman way oh fair enough yeah okay um so first of all if anyone who listens to my podcast hasn't had a chance to catch steve's yet uh i highly recommend it uh steve laidlaw podcast correct yeah, wherever you get your podcasts. If it's not on one of the apps that you use, let me know and I'll figure out how to get it on there because I'm uh, technically not savvy, but I'm trying to figure this stuff out. You and me both, brother. Uh, so Steve's had a, a number of really good episodes and lately he's been doing some um, uh, post-draft mortem uh, and going over the recent NHL draft uh, with some of the Dauber Draftcast guys. Tony uh, was on an episode and Tony and, and Yoki do a great job on their podcast too. Um, and I want to talk about the draft on this episode. And I brought Steve on specifically because uh, I want this episode to have a little bit of a, a fantasy hockey slant to it as this show usually does. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts about the draft, and as I said, the postmortem on the draft, where players were picked, high and low and whatnot. But I haven't really heard any podcasts talking about players for fantasy hockey purposes. And uh, a lot of drafts uh, that do dynasty leagues wait for the NHL draft to end. And, and since it just ended recently, uh, I, I imagine a lot of fantasy drafts are are in the process as we speak, as ours is. In fact, I might even be making picks live on on the podcast with you here, Steve. I got two coming up, and, and picks uh, in the one hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Pick one hundred and ten and one hundred and thirteen. Mister Irrelevance. Let's Indeed. hear them. Indeed. Uh, well, I'll have to make them before I can announce them. Hey, Victor uh, so Arvidsson was once one of those picks, so he's still panning out for me. Hey, yeah, not Mister Irrelevant. I've looked through your draft history actually and you got some pretty decent players in rate late rounds uh connor hellebuck is one that jumps to mind i think he was a fourth or fifth round pick of yours that panned out pretty pretty good i mean you traded him but i'm sure you got great value for him i got kucherov but that yeah, was, that, right. was, that was a one-way ticket to hellebuck i'm, I'm still cashing those hellebucks <laughs> all right so steve and i are, are in a fantasy draft and uh, the league that we're in, let me just preface it. Uh, I've talked about it a couple times on this podcast, but for the uninitiated, uh, it is a uh, rotisserie style head-to-head -head league, um, multi-categories, and it is a hard cap league. So it really tries to model what the conditions in NHL general manager has. So we have 24 teams in the league, so there's quite a few teams, and it's full rosters with three centers, left wing, right wing, three spare forwards, 60, uh, a goalie, and then like a full 25-man prospect pool as well. So each team has, you know, 50 contracts basically times 24 teams, whatever that math works out to. This is a very deep fantasy pool. And our entry draft, 
consists of obviously all of the NHL entry draft players and any players who have previously been unowned by any NHL team whose rights have been signed as a free agent. So either out of college or out of Europe or any other league uh, in the period between the NHL draft and the conclusion of our regular season. And our regular season ends um, shortly after the, the trade deadline. And, and then we do our playoffs. The NHL playoffs are not relevant to our league. So that being said, uh, obviously, we, we, we draft heavily on the entry draft player, but you will see some um, free agents sprinkled in our draft as well. And so we'll probably hit on a few of those players. It's interesting to see how uh, different GMs uh, in our league value those players. And I've talked about it before on this podcast a little bit. Uh, I think the upside on those players is a lot more defined than the entry draft players and a lot more limited. I mean, they were passed over in drafts before, usually for a pretty good reason. Uh, but the bonus you get to them is they can contribute to your fantasy roster immediately. Uh, another little caveat um, that's specific to our league is when you draft a player at the entry draft, you get a free year of ownership rights to that player before you have to um, sign him or add him to your 50-man active roster. So it's kind of like the contract slide in, in um, with prospects. When an NHL team drafts a prospect, they don't have to sign him right away, and they get four years or so, depending on the conditions that he's drafted in, before they have to make him a contract and he becomes a free agent. So just that's just some context for how our fantasy talk will go based on, on our league specifically, but we'll also be talking about... Um, just some general fantasy value and the impact that where players were, were drafted, um, what that has on their, on their fantasy value as well. Um, so hopefully that makes sense to everyone. Steve, you all good with that? You good to go. Yeah. It's a fairly casual league. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple, not complicated yeah. or, or involved at all. Uh, so the first pick overall uh, in the NHL, everyone knows that was owned by the Rangers and Alexis Lafreniere was uh, was the first overall pick. Uh, it wasn't even close. There was no drama or or mystery there. And you owned the first overall pick in our league, and uh, you did not take Lafreniere. And I think I have a pretty good idea why, but I would I would really like to to hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say. So why did you not take Lafreniere and tell us who you picked first overall? So I've been circling this draft for well, when when did Bob McKenzie tweet out those clips and stuff about Quentin Byfield like four or five years ago when he was talking about this is the next great one? So I've been circling this draft since then. And okay. like, let's be clear, I've got a contending team in this league, but I made a concerted effort to acquire some picks that could end up in the draft lottery. And I ended up winning the draft lottery. I was quite fortunate, landed the number one overall pick. So really, really wanted Quentin Byfield. And for this league specifically, because we've we just value centermen so much more heavily than any other fantasy league like your average fantasy league you think oh i want to draft wingers because wingers are more scarce but 
in this league, you need center mid because we count face-off wins. And if you've got, like, I've got some good wingers, but ultimately it's the centermen who are driving that value. If you've got an elite centerman who's putting up a cross-category value, then that's the best own in the league. Like Nathan McKinnon, by far the best player in this league. So I would like the next one of those. And I'm hoping that Byfield is that. Now, is it a little bit of a gamble? Sure. But there's also the factor of the way that our league counts towards the cap. So we count full player bonuses, whether the player earns them or not, towards their cap hit. So Lafreniere, he's already... We use the AAV. Exactly. So he's already signed his entry-level deal, and he's got the max bonuses. So he's instantly a $4 million, almost $4 million player in our league. So that's 5% of our cap. And That's still good not, value for what he's projected to be, though. I mean, if he's going to he, walk into the NHL and score 60 points as a rookie and go up from there in the next three years, that's good value. It, it is good value, but it's not as good as if I have that in a centerman because he's not going to provide that scoring. And we're in a fucking pandemic, Pete. So <laughs> the, the cap is flat. No one has the cap space that they thought that they were going to have. So suddenly, four million. It had the cap gone up, I would have had the room to slide Lafreniere right into my lineup right away with what I had projected. But because of the flat cap, I no longer have that space. That three, four extra million that I was hoping to have, I was counting on having, doesn't exist. So if I've got to wait a year on Byfield to get that reward of a centerman, then I'm happy to do that. And if he arrives right away, then he's more liable to contribute across the board just because of what he's providing. And I'm also like, I'm getting a potential superstar. Like the, the upside is just as high, if not higher for Byfield. So that was a swing that I was willing to take. And I should note there, I've got another league where we only count we don't count the AAV, so the bonuses don't matter at all. And I had the number one pick, and it, it was easy. I want to jump up in the standings so I can slide less than $1 million Alexis Lafreniere into my lineup and have him be a 60-point player. And face-off wins don't matter as much in that league, so it's actually more valuable to have the winger. So it was, it was purely about league specifics that drove me towards that, but also... I've been waiting a long time and really hoping that I could draft Byfield in some fantasy drafts. And ultimately, like, isn't that what this stuff is about? Well, this league is because there's no money at stake. So really all you've got invested is your time and your passion. And what's more fun than spending your time and your passion about having players on your team that that you love and that you watch, like to watch them play. And when they score and they're on highlight reels uh it's fun it makes you feel good just to give a little bit more context to what you're saying about the fit the value of the face-off wins so for anyone who who hasn't ever participated in um a rotisserie style league or a head-to-head league that we're in the way it works is is this week for example i could be playing uh my team against steve's and 
We have categories across the board, like you said, for goals, assists, power play points, face-off wins, hits, blocks, shots, penalty minutes, plus minus, pretty much the gambit. And you take all your team's players that contribute to those categories, and whoever has the most goals that week wins that category. And then whoever has the most face-off wins wins that. So whoever wins the most categories wins the week. So having a player like Byfield, who you can count on when he's in his prime, he's going to stuff almost all of your categories. He'll win you face-offs, he'll score goals, he'll get assists, he'll throw a lot of hits, uh, he'll get power play points. I'm not too sure about the shorthanded points. He might not get you a bunch of those. And depending on how long it takes LA to build, he might be detrimental in your plus-minus column. But, I mean, he'll be contributing positively through you for you across the board for a long time. Uh, so I get why you picked him. That that makes a lot of sense. And who knows, in five years, he might he might just outscore Lafreniere on a regular basis anyways. I mean, these guys are green bananas still, so who knows what they turn into when they hit their stride. Uh, did you ever get any consideration to trading down the pick and trying to get an extra pick and thinking, counting on someone taking Lafreniere first? No, I didn't. I didn't want to take that risk at all. I, I thought that the upside that I was getting was completely worthwhile. And also just, I don't think that I was going to get a winning trade in that scenario. Like it was offered to me, would I consider this? And there wasn't actually a firm offer on the table. So it wasn't something that I was going to go down the rabbit hole of. Right, Because there's there's a certain element of when you're talking trade, whoever makes that first offer kind of sets the context of what that trade is, right? So if someone comes to you and says, hey, would you consider trading back, but doesn't actually make an offer, or if they do make an offer and it's not a very good one, then that's, they've, they've set the parameters right? They've, they've set the scaffolding for what that trade's going to kind of look like, right? Unless you just completely scoff and say, well, that's not even close. And here's my other end of the spectrum, completely absurd counteroffer to try to change those parameters. But ultimately, you generally, you're working around those parameters. So if someone comes to you and isn't making an offer or isn't making a good offer, then you're not working from a position of strength. Mm -hmm. And that's just no negotiations in general. Yeah, we've got a few owners in our league that just refuse to make... They'll send me trade phishing messages like, hey, would you be interested in this guy? Or can I, what do you want for, for that guy? And I'm like, I don't know, make me an offer. And I'll even say, just give me a list of players who I can choose from. And they won't even do that. They will not formulate any semblance of an offer. And I, it's hard to negotiate with those people because they just don't want to come up with a starting point that is a... That I might think is a, a low value trade for them, right? So then they could have offered less, right? So they're just really trying to maximize their return and, and minimize their expense. Um, back to our draft, though. Um, so Byfield goes first overall, uh, then Lafreniere goes second, and then uh, you had the next pick. Did you trade for that? Yeah, I, I did. So I ended up, I also had the number six overall pick in this draft and I ended up trading up to get up to number three 
And like I said, I had this draft circled for some time. And so I wanted to have as many lottery balls as I could. And I was lucky enough to get number one, got the guy that I wanted. And I also, I thought that there, so we talked about this before our draft. And generally speaking, there was a very clear top seven of elite forwards in this draft class. But we talked about earlier on this pod the value of centermen in this league and also the value of having players contributing on their entry-level contracts. So for me, within that top seven, Marco Rossi and Cole Perfetti stood out as players who could play center and also maybe play right away. And so I highlighted them as very clearly number three and four on my draft board. And I could have sat there at number six. Like we talked about me trading down from six to eight because of that very clear tier. But if one, like, did I want to risk one of those guys not being there for me at number six and going home with a winger and not being that happy about it? No. So I, I got an opportunity to trade back from, I had number 20 and I traded back to 30 in order to move up to number three from number six. And I think that a lot of people, when they talk about entry drafts and stuff like that, they talk about how the the greater value is in moving back, right? Like you saw what the Toronto Maple Leafs did with the Ottawa Senators. They trade the number 45 pick and they go back to the end of the second round and they pick up a couple of ones. And a lot of people think they got better prospects with those two picks like each one of them was better than the one guy who got drafted, right? The the yeah. famous Leafs example is Tyler Biggs for uh, <laughs> Ricard Raquel and John Gibson is what those picks turned into. And there's examples of it going the other way, right? Like, sure. Um, oh God, what was, I can't remember the draft class that Logan Couture was in, but he goes number nine to the Sharks and they ended up trading up from number 13 with, again with the Leafs who moved back. And in this case, it was a situation where moving up was the right choice because the higher you are in the draft, the the higher the value of each pick goes up in tiers, right? So for me, it was just Marco Rossi was easily the number three on my board. And why, you know, why gamble on one of those two centermen not falling to me? And so I, I made the move up and I took Rossi. I'm really high on Marco Rossi as well. I've seen him play for the 67s, who uh, are just up the road from me, a number of times live, and the kid's dynamic. I mean, the line I use for him a lot is he dominates the game. Um, what do I say about him? Uh, that he's he, he controls the play and without the puck on his stick even. And then when he gets the puck on his stick... He's even more impactful, obviously. Uh, he's great along the, the boards. He's great down low. He's got incredible vision. Um, his ability to control the puck and you can't give the guy a bad pass. These are all things that I just love about him. Uh, I was absolutely shocked that his teammate was picked before him at the draft. I think we got the right order here, picking Marco Rossi ahead of Jack Quinn. Um, yeah, he's, he's the heir apparent to Martin St. Louis thunder thighs. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the kid thick. is built. He's built he's like thick. a fire hydrant, and he uses it so effectively. He's going to be 
so much fun to cheer for. I'm very excited. So he was picked by Minnesota. And I said we talk about how where players are drafted in the NHL impacts their fantasy value. And this might be an example of where I, I think it didn't help his fantasy value. I, I've never really liked having players that play for the Minnesota Wild on my roster because I just I have a hard time seeing them being a prolific offensive team. Uh, did that cross your mind at all when after he was drafted by Minnesota before you picked him? Do you like, damn, I wish he would have gone to, you know, another team? I actually love the fit in Minnesota. Look, I, I don't know what Bill Guerin wants this team to end up looking like because he is changing it completely. But there's a pathway for Rossi being, I don't want to say their number one centerman next year, but certainly being their offensive zone centerman next year. And there's a pathway to him playing a ton of minutes with Kirill Kaprizov, who he's not going to be Artemi Panarin, but he's, I don't know, going to be maybe the second, in terms of fantasy value, what people got out of Radulov when he came back. And Kevin Fiala is in the midst of breaking out and at least being a legitimate first-line player. So there's room for him to play with some pretty dynamic offensive players. And I think that, sure, the Minnesota Wild have been this team that they don't put up offense for maybe the entirety of their existence as a franchise. But I think a lot of that just comes down to kind of where and how they've been drafting throughout the existence of their franchise. Like, sure, they ended up with Marion Gabryk in their first ever entry draft, and they were fortunate to win a coin flip to get to make that pick, right? But they're a team that I just... I think that they kind of had to settle into being this defensive type squad because they didn't they didn't get the swings at the top of the draft and the drafts that they were picking at the top of the draft of were not ones where there was a ton of talent in. So they never got to become one of those high octane teams, but it's not like these teams don't want to become offensive. It's just that they can't because they aren't getting the players to do so. Right. So you traded up to get Rossi. The trade, third and 30th overall, uh, is what you acquired, and you gave up the 6th and the 21st overall. So you moved up three positions and then fell back nine in the back end of the first round. The players ended up being, uh, you selected Rossi and uh, Lick's brother, Yan Mysak. And the players were that were picked with the, uh, with the picks you traded away ended up being none other than Cole Perfetti. And Edmonton Oilers, Dylan Holloway. Uh, so that's a pretty good trade. Um, I think I like that either way. And time will tell how that shakes out and who. I don't think there'll be a winner or a loser in that trade. I think it'll just be a, you know, meh. I hope everyone got the player that they like. Well, and I, I talked about it with uh, with Cedric, the GM that I trade with, after the fact. And he was... He was really happy that Perfetti was there for them. Like the reason that he traded back, he's like, oh my God, I don't want to have to make this decision between these two players. And so it, it just worked out for him that uh, that it fell the way that it did. And the GM that had fourth and fifth overall, I'm sure he did uh, something similar to what I did 
where he like he's also got a contending team and he also must have had this draft circled as one that he was keying in on and he didn't end up faring as well in the draft lottery results so he he's got fourth and fifth and he was really excited about who had fallen to him after I guess I went off the board with Marco Rossi but just thinking about our league I was like I don't I, I I wouldn't have wanted to take Tim Stutzla or Lucas Raymond. As fantastic of players as they're going to be, they're going to end up being like the the floor for them is four million dollar wingers, right? And then what are they going to get on their next contract? So now suddenly you're looking at eight million dollar wingers on their next contract, and it could be in as soon as three years. So I don't think you're getting as much runway of value out of those players as you are out of uh, a centerman who maybe goes a little bit later and doesn't get those bonuses the same way well i would not have been disappointed if they fell in my lap so just to recap we had byfield at one lafreniere at two rossi at three then stutzla and raymond go four five and then the pick you traded ends up being cole perfetti seventh overall uh alexander holtz goes and that, as far as I'm concerned, is the first first and second tier. The first tier, I think you've got the two guys there, Byfield and, and Lafreniere. And then everyone else falls in after that. And I think there's a big drop-off after seven. Lo and behold, I had pick number eight. Just one, just one shy, right? Always the bridesmaid. Um, so I had the eighth overall pick. And because no one jumped up and took a defenseman in there, much to my dismay, or and no one reached on Askarov, uh, I was okay with with trading the pick down uh, a couple of spots to tenth overall, because um, I was there was three or four players in that range that I would have been okay with picking. Um, disappointed that it wasn't one of the top seven, but I had a couple guys in that range, so trading down. I traded the 10th overall pick and the, sorry, the 8th overall pick and 52nd for 10th and 35. So I fall down two spots at the top of the draft, but I jumped up 20 later on. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, And then the 8th player picked was Jack Quinn, um, Ottawa 67's. Uh, player selected by uh, who picked Jack Quinn Buffalo and that's that's another team that I don't really have a lot of confidence in them as an NHL team and I have even less confidence in their ability to develop prospects they just don't have a good track record for that Um, so I was okay with missing on Jack Quinn Uh, the ninth player picked overall I was really worried that this was going to be Askarov because I was either going to pick Askarov or I was going to trade the pick to someone who I knew wanted him. Um, fortunately for me, Anton Lundell went ninth overall. And uh, Anton Lundell is a center, so that was appealing. But I just, uh, I'm not really enthusiastic about a player who, when you ask analysts and prospect guys about him, one of the first things they say is, is he's one of the best defensive player forwards in the draft. His defensive game is NHL ready now. So I like the fact that he could be in the NHL uh, this coming season. But compared to all the other forwards that we've talked about, I just don't think his fantasy value is is top 10 kind of caliber. 
And uh, he was also picked by Florida. And there's another example of a team that I just I just don't like. <laughs> I don't have confidence in their their player development either. Yeah, see, I, I I'm really high on Lindell in this draft because there is a certain element of how long are these kids going to take? And I think that uh, another reason that I was really high on Rossi and Perfetti is that I think they could play right away. And I think Lundell falls into that camp as well. We're not going to see him this season unless something happens where the finished season is done and suddenly he's able to come over for the second half of the NHL season or he comes over for the playoff run that the Florida Panthers aren't going to have. But... Yeah, I don't love the the Panthers franchise, but that's also an opportunity, right? And you look at the player, and if what you're getting is a Sean Couturier or Miko Koivu, well, those guys are like they've been fantastic value in our league for years, and I don't necessarily want to hold a defensive game against them. like your standard fantasy league. I get it. Right, you don't necessarily want the defensive guys because they're not going to put up the, the higher point totals. But just the, the nature of our league, like it almost is value enhanced when you're getting these awesome defensive players because NHL teams don't know how to value defensive metrics and stuff like that. So you end up getting them on cheaper contracts, and if they're playing center, then they're contributing all across the board for you. And if they do end up popping to just high enough of value, then you get a Sean Couturier who's signed for a little over four million a year and is contributing like a low end number one centerman. Sure. Assuming that he uh fulfills the number one sentiment role, right? Are you getting a Sean Couturier or are you getting a Andrew Cogliano? Well, Cogliano doesn't even play center. Like he, he just did. He did when he came in. Yeah. And it was horrible. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> All right. So Anton Lundell's off the board and I'm really happy about that. So the pick falls in my lap and I get a take it or leave it offer from the GM who I know wants Askarov, and he's offering me a first-round pick in 2021, which I have absolutely every confidence is going to be a lottery pick. Um, it's my dad's team, and it's rubbish. Uh, it's just, it's not a good team. So I'm pretty sure that's going to be a, in the lottery. Um, and I last year in the first round, I picked Spencer Knight. So I've got my future franchise goalie kind of locked up although i think he might be a, f a few more years away and he does play for florida and barkov's got that monster contract blocking his way but i'm fairly confident that something's going to give way and spencer knight will be in the nhl within a year or two and uh contributing for me the way carter hart is for philadelphia so i'm, I'm a happy owning spencer knight uh and i have petter kochkov as well coming up from carolina so can we talk about the series of events that have taken place that led you to trading out of the top 10 of this draft? Sure. Okay, so you didn't you didn't get into the top 7. You didn't like what was on the board for you. So you trade back. And yeah. I get that you you've you've added a little bit of value. Yeah. Like we talk about the at the very high end of the draft, 
that's where like you lose so much more value the the more you move back and i wouldn't have taken the goalie either i've i've been the guy who takes the goalie super high in a fantasy league and you end up waiting way too long like it's going to be what at least two years until Askarov's even out of his KHL contract. And then has he signed an extension by then? Like, are we going to see him? And then is he going to be ready? How long is this project going to take? And as much as he seems like he's the best prospect since Carey Price, there's still an element of uncertainty. So if I've got to wait four years and I'm uncertain, like you can get Connor Hellebucks in the fifth round. So that's how I want to get my goalies if I'm drafting them and I don't want to take them with top 10 picks. And so you ended up trading that pick out entirely and opting for, yeah, like you said, a likely lottery pick in next year's draft. But is next year's draft going to be good? Like, you don't want to have that top pick. Like, first, if the best five players in that draft are all defensemen, and we, we've talked about how centermen are valuable. Well, in this league, defensemen are not valuable at all. And defensemen who are making more than four million bucks, like I've, I've cut the long-running joke, if, if you can skate and hold your stick at the same time, you get four million bucks as a defenseman. Yeah. Well, as soon as you hit that four million dollar a year barrier, you're no longer worth shit in this league. So is that what you just traded for? When you could have taken Lundell at number eight and had what seems like the floor is a defensive, strong centerman. So, right. So uh, two things. I had two choices, really. Uh, Lundell was gone, so he wasn't an option for me. So at 10, I'm looking at either Askarov. I guess I have three choices. I could have gone with one of the defensemen. But we just you just covered why I don't want defense. And then the third option was to trade up into the lottery for next year. And yeah, next year's draft is a defense heavy draft. It doesn't mean I have to draft a defenseman. The other the other option I considered was uh, I could just draft Askarov and then use that commodity and trade and trade Askarov for a forward or that I want or whatever I want. Um, but I like having draft picks because, as you know, uh, I'm a prospect guy. And uh, I love fantasy drafting. So I didn't like what my options were with this pick here. So I'll roll the dice uh, for a pick in next year's draft that could be in the lottery. And there's good forwards in there. I'm looking at you, uh, Atu Ratti. I wouldn't mind having him on my roster. He could be the first player in, from Finland to go first overall in, in the history of the NHL. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we'll just see how it shakes out. And who knows? Maybe I'll trade that pick again for uh, a 2022 or a 23 first round pick and try and get my hands on Shane Wright, who I'm starting to fall in love with here in Kingston. Um, I thought you liked making draft picks. And here you are talking about playing a shell game of trading your picks away three, four years down the road. Hey, as long as I get to pick eventually. And in this draft, I already have about uh, 10, 10 picks in this draft already. So I've got my uh, my draft pick fix this year already. Uh, and I do have a pick coming up in this draft at 16 overall, too. So so that's all right. Well, we're going to talk about that pick. Uh, yeah. And I got one at 13 before that. Uh, okay, so back to our draft. 10, we've got Yaroslav Askarov off the board. I traded him away. Thank you very much. Next up 
is uh, it's my old man's pick, and he does love two things. He loves his important college players, and he loves his Maple Leafs. So without much uh, shocker or surprise for me, he takes Miko Lettinen at 11th overall, which I thought was pretty high. And I told him as such. I said, don't draft him at 11. He's like, oh, I don't you to get him later. I was like, don't worry. <laughs> You're safe. Uh, but he wasn't sure about everyone else. So he went ahead and picked him. Now, the good about him is uh, he's got a lot of upside. He's on an entry-level contract, so he'll be cheap. And uh, at the time of the draft, this is just before free agency, he was looking like uh, top four pairing defenseman in Toronto because Cody Cece will be out. Tyson Berry will be out. A little bit of concern that the Leafs might sign uh, an Alex Petrangelo, but uh, they ended up getting Tyson Berry instead. So not too worried about that from a fantasy perspective. Uh, so he's happy he got his guy. He's a, he's a Leaf fan. And he'll be happy with that pick. Do you think that Miko Lettinen had any business being drafted in the first round of our draft? Absolutely not. I mean, bless your bless your father for going with his heart. You you got to appreciate that approach to fantasy hockey, but it's a losing strategy. And everyone with picks after his were fist pumping because this is a this is almost a dream for like this draft it really shapes up as a dream for people who are who love the draft and and just for this league specifically because of how many excellent forwards were available in this draft i have several forwards on on my list at this point that i think could be first liners in the nhl and he skipped past all of them to draft a 26-year-old defenseman who's probably going to be on the third pairing and maybe get some healthy scratches. And there's upside there. He puts up points like no one's business in the KHL. We'll see if he can do it in the NHL, but he's not getting minutes over Morgan Riley. So, yeah, I think it's limited. And I think that there was a point in the draft where drafting Nico Lettinen made some sense. And it was probably closer to around what 57, where Jack Khan went, the uh, exciting Tory Krug uh, comparable that Boston signed out of college this year. And right. somewhere in around there is probably uh, the right spot for a, a guy like Miko Lettman. And it's not like your dad didn't have picks in that range as well. Well, he's got more picks than I do. See... I thought about this. I say, you know what? You got your guy. Just get him. Just draft him as soon as you can. If you've got a certain guy that you want, kind of like what Yarmo uh, uh, Kekalainen did with Chinnikov. He didn't have a pick until the third round after their first, and they really wanted that guy. I guess they had reason to believe that he wouldn't have been available for them in the third, and I think they know that he's not a first-round pick, but because they didn't have a second and they didn't feel like they could trade to get one they just picked him in the first they just got their hey, guy Yarmo told us that he had him in his top 10 so we'll just take him at his word sure he did <laughs> <laughs> so hey maybe Mika Letton is my old man's guy and he didn't pick again uh so we had to get him now or never but that's just not the case either because he picked 15th and 29th and I think he had another pick in there too maybe but anyways uh, he got the guy he wanted, so he's happy, and 
that's all that really matters. Well, and not, everyone not else even is the, happy that he made the pick. Right? Uh, not even the first defenseman. Uh, sorry, the first defenseman in the draft. It wasn't even either Drysdale or uh, Sanderson. It was Miko Lettinen. So that's probably something that is an outlier for our league. It just takes just takes one guy to kind of throw everyone's mock drafts off, as, as I like to say. Um, and that one kind of... I think was it was a pick that no one was really expecting in the first round. Next up, we got Jamie Drysdale. Uh, so he goes 12th overall, and then I'm back up at 13th, and I actually make my pick here. Uh, and I had a couple options that I could go with, but I didn't really feel like I could uh, pass up on Dawson Mercer. I like this kid. Uh, I think he's uh, a surefire NHLer. I don't think there's any chance he doesn't make it to the NHL. Uh, it shouldn't be overlooked that he made Team Canada World Junior uh, with Byfield and Lafreniere and uh, and Jamie Drysdale. So that's pretty elite company that he's sitting with there. Uh, I think he could be a captain, and he's a versatile player. He plays forward. He's responsible defensive. Um, so he can move up and down the roster. So I, I think I like him for being assured good minutes when he gets to the NHL too. And another thing I like about him is that he was drafted by New Jersey. And uh, I don't think they have the best development in the league, but it's not bad. It's good. And uh, you look at what his center options could be in the near to not too distant future with Hughes and uh, Heischer. Those are some some pretty good options. So I was quite happy to get Dawson Mercer. And I was even considering drafting him at 10 if I didn't make the trade. Did um, you just describe Andrew Cogliano? <laughs> okay here's the difference he, he's not a defense first player with some offs offensive upside he's an offensive player who's responsible defensively there's there's a subtle difference there but i knew you were going to say something like that as soon as i was talking about how he's responsible defensively i was like no, this is this is going to come back can we talk about the player that i would have taken at number eight and sure. he ends up going the pick after yours at number 14. Yeah. Seth Jarvis. Yeah. Fucking Seth Jarvis. That was that was the guy that everyone should have picked from Alexander Holtz on down to where he went. That was the guy. You could absolutely make a case for that. Uh, I, I'm not against him, and, and he was one of the two or three players who I was as considering in here. It would be uh, Mercer, Jarvis, and probably Amarov. If you want to talk about a team that has really changed the narrative about themselves, the Carolina Hurricanes under Tom Dundon have suddenly become the team that they draft like every public list they draft everyone's favorites and Seth Jarvis kicked it off for them at number 13 and they've, they've developed a ton of these players and, and turned them into what look like star players. Like Sebastian Ajo is a star centerman and Evgeny Svechnikov is maybe going to be the next like superstar breakout candidate, I would think. And they've got a phenomenal situation with all these excellent puck moving defensemen so you add a dynamic forward talent like seth jarvis to that who i mean he can do a little bit of everything he's just he's just dynamic offensive threat he can score goals he's a he's a strong four checker he makes plays in space but he can also make 
plays when he doesn't have space. Like I'm a huge fan of this guy. I think he should have been a top 10 pick and I think he's got top 10 fantasy value upside out of this draft. And I think that a lot of people are going to be regretting not getting him. There's been a lot of drafts that I think he would be a top 10 in. Um, this year just wasn't one of them. It's a deep, it's a deep draft at the top. There's a lot of, a lot of good players in this draft at the top. And, uh, and he's one of them. And I, I just not sure that he ranks in the top 10 um, right now, but that could change in as fast as two years. We could do a redraft of this in about two or three years, and he could be a lot higher than uh, where he was picked. In our fantasy draft, he was picked 14th. 14th, right 13th, after Dawson Mercer. 13th overall by Carolina in the NHL, so... Clearly, you think I picked the wrong guy. I'm super happy with the guy that I got, um, and that's what. Look, Mercer's a good player. Like you said, he's probably going to be an NHLer. I think Jarvis is going to be a first line level NHL player, and he's going to score like it. And that's what you're trying to get in fantasy leagues. And I'm going to be honest. Like I was trying like all hell to trade up into that 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 range because that's that's like. I make no bones about it. That's my favorite player in this draft class. Like I highlighted this draft because I wanted to get Quentin Byfield and I really like Marco Rossi, but like my absolute favorite prospect in this draft is Seth Jarvis. And I think like, I think he's absolutely dynamite and I, I wasn't able to get him in any of my fantasy drafts. And I'm kind of disappointed about it, but we'll see if I can't trade for him yet. I'm going to try yeah. it. And yeah, you, got, you got some, you got some pieces you could offer. You got a nice roster. Yeah. And yeah, right. and I I think I think he was the guy like I would have taken him at eight. Honestly, like we talked about um the potential of me instead of me trading up to three, me trading back from six to eight, and you could have gotten one of the top seven. I would have taken Jarvis at eight. Yeah, and, well, and that wouldn't have been a bad pick, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have had the reaction I had um with the fifteenth overall pick in our draft, which goes back to back to my dad, and he goes back to picking Toronto players and back to picking uh, a, a Toronto signee from Europe. And he takes Alexander Barbanov. Is he going to play a regular shift? I don't know. That's a fair question. Now he told me that he was really high on this guy and he wanted him. And I, and I explained to him that, you know, Toronto's got a pretty loaded, top six forward roster he's he's not going to get a lot of good scoring time and he's like no no i know he's not that kind of player and he's right you know he's uh he's a meat and potato bangers and mash keeping carlson kind of guy he'll throw some hits he'll block some shots i'm pretty sure he's a winger um so he's not going to get the face-off wins um but wow i told him you can get him in in definitely uh, the third round of our draft maybe the fourth um, maybe the fifth, but it's a pretty sure chance that he'll be in North America with an NHL contract. How much, how much ice he'll see? Uh, I'm really not too sure about. Uh, but hey, like I like we've said a couple times, he he got the he got players that he likes, and he'll have fun either cheering for him or heckling him for not getting enough ice time and ruining his fantasy season. Now you can see why I was pretty excited to get his first overall pick, right? Oh yeah, well that's that's how I got Quentin Byfield. I, <laughs> well, I, I, just, th I just think it's the wrong draft. 
Yeah. This was the right draft. That's the wrong draft. Hey, if I get a first overall pick, there's never... Well, I shouldn't say that. There's been some bad first overall picks. Yeah, nail Yakupov. <sighs> yeah, he nailed it. Uh, okay, so now it's time for you to make fun of me because I'm back up and I'm I'm kind of following in my dad's footsteps where I go and I kind of, maybe a little early, reach for a player uh, who is a free agent coming from Europe, uh, Pius Suter, who... So did you just panic? Is that what happened here? Did you no. see the undrafted free agents getting signed? And you're like, well, <laughs> this is the time of the draft for them. Yeah, no, no, not like that. But I got There's some run on goalies. I got to take a goalie. Like everyone's had that experience, right? Is that, is that what happened? Here? I could see why you would think that. I got some holes in my roster that need filling immediately. Uh, and I, he's going to play in the NHL in Chicago. And he'll get, I think, top six minutes. I loved watching him. And this is a player who I love. I loved watching him when he was in the O. He's not a very big guy, but he's kind of he's kind of stocky. And he's just ripping up and down the ice. He's scoring goals. He's competing hard. And he had uh, an MVP season in uh, Switzerland or wherever he played last year, which... It's something, but not saying much, but it's something. And he's on an entry-level contract, so he'll be cheap. I can fit him in my roster right away and and fill a hole that I recently opened up by trading Brandon Saad. So that was my strategy there. Could I have got a better, a player who will be definitely better in about three or four or five years? Totally. Any of the players that were picked next, you know, La Perrier, uh, if he's healthy, Connor Zary, Rodion Amirov was the, the strongest competition. I really hummed and hawed between him and getting Pius Suter because but Rodion Amirov is is just so far away that I I needed some instant gratification. So I went with with this guy. So he comes from the the top Swiss league, similar to what uh, Dominique Kubalik did the year before. But I don't know that he necessarily comes with the same offensive traits and he doesn't come with quite the same track record. Like Kubelik destroyed that Swiss league and just age adjusted scoring and stuff like that. Like he's, he's not tracking on the same path. So if you're hoping to get the next Kubelik and I don't think that you are, then I think you're going to be a little bit disappointed with that. But Hey, we'll see. I don't, I, I think because of Kubelik, I don't think there's room for Suter in their top six. And certainly not on their top power play. So we'll see how he ends up fitting in. But I think that it's it's going to be one of those. This is going to be closer to Barabanov than it is to Kubalik. I'll say that. Could be. Uh, but, you know, I wanted him. So I took my shot on him. Uh, next up, we got Hendrix Laperrier, who... Is I think it's Lapierre, is it Lapierre, not? yeah, I, I just, whatever, call me. What are the best hockey names in this draft? Get it right, Pete. Oh, I don't think I'd go that far. It's not Gunnar Wolf Fontaine or Zade Wisdom. Well, it is definitely not those, but it's one of the best. It's a good one. It's a good one. He's named after Jimi Hendrix. Come on. Is he really, or is that just a coincidence? Oh, no, he is. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's an anecdote that I heard, and I'm going to parrot it, whether it's true or not. <laughs> if you say it enough it'll become true right um yeah he's he's electric he was dominant for canada at uh i think it was the holinka tournament 
And he was just derailed by head injuries. And that's a huge red flag for me. So while I like the idea of, of taking a sort of a swing at him later in the first round, um, you know, there's just been too many players and I've been burned on a few that, you know, they have head injuries and, and then they're, they're just done. They either never come back or they never come back the same. And uh, I told myself a couple of years ago, I'm just I'm just not going to pick a player that or trade for a player that has a, a significant history of concussions, especially in a, a number of them in a short period of time. And he had like three and eight months or something like that. So uh, that's just my take on him. Yeah, I, I can get down with that. Like Lapierre wasn't as high on my list as this. There's still a few guys that stand out as they could be number one centerman on a bad team or number two centerman on a good team. And he wasn't on my list for that level. But, I mean, he, he could because he does play the position and he does have those electric talents. It's just a question of whether he's going to be able to fill that uh, upside after all the injuries. But um, Washington, I mean, you talked about a team that develops players. They don't have a tremendous track record, but they don't fuck up first round. Or Yeah, they don't fuck up first round picks, right? They don't do well in the later rounds, but they don't fuck up first round picks. Right. And, you know, they've been a competitive team for a long time. So there was a while there where they were they were trading those first round picks away. So they didn't have first round picks to make. And then they blew it in the later rounds. And then, they, like you said, Hershey's just not really been very good at developing their talent. Um, so they're a team that ranked, like, super low on our organizational prospect rankings. And the teams that have a Stanley Cup in their back pocket in the last, you know, four or five years tend to do that because they are uh, a competitive and uh, contending team. They, they trade their first-round picks, and they, they go for it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that strategy. Uh, so Connor Zeri, he goes next. And then we go back to defense with Jake Sanderson. And then Rodion Amirov is picked. So between Zeri and, and Amirov, I, I think I actually like Amirov more. Um, what's your take on those two players? I like Zeri for this league. You look at... So, one of the things that I do in my draft prep is like I read all the articles. I I try to watch as many YouTube clips as I can and stuff like that. I I, I love Will Scouch's breakdowns on players and stuff like that. And but I really hone in on the data. And Connor Zary is tracking to be a top six centerman. And so what's the most valuable thing in this league? It's top centerman right so for me he was potentially a top 10 12 pick in this draft if we were going off my list we would have only drafted forwards up to this point and they would be all players that i think can be top six forwards and a lot of them are centermen and so for me that would have been hands down the best pick here just because the data on mhl players is like it's just you you don't know what you're getting out of that league because it's so scattered so amirov he's like he seems like he's super projectable and you love like you talk about teams that develop well toronto has done quite well with their draft picks like even their late ones so 
I'd be excited about him as a Leafs fan. I'd be excited to draft him in a fantasy league, but I would have had, like, I had Zary quite a bit higher on my list. I also find it interesting that, and like you said, they'd be all forwards. You go the top 18 picks in our draft, and only two of them are defensemen. And really, arguably, only one of them has business being there. Uh, and then Jake Sanderson, who was the fifth overall pick in the NHL draft, he comes off the board at 19. And yeah, I wouldn't have drafted him in, our, in the top 50 of this league. Right. And the, the GM that picked him, he's he's a rookie GM to this league, right? So mm-hmm. he, he maybe doesn't have uh, the same perspective on on value that people that have a couple seasons under their, under their belt have. Uh, Dylan Holloway, who's a winger center out of the NCAA, is the 21st picked player, Edmonton Oilers prospect. Speaking of teams that don't draft and develop players very well, uh, Edmonton Oilers... Not a big fan of uh, their pipeline either. So, hey, they've been doing better of late. And... Well, it's hard to screw up McDavid and Drysidle, but they've no, even but managed you... to screw up Puliyarvi. Well, they they have, but it sure does seem like Kyler Yamamoto is panning out, and a big reason why they were a playoff team this year is because of the emergence of Ethan bear and Caleb Jones guys. They took in the later rounds of the McDavid draft. So as much as they bungled a lot of stuff later in that draft, they ended up drafting three top four NHL defensemen and Ethan bear, Caleb Jones, and they couldn't even sign John Marino who ended up being a top four defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, I mean, Edmonton, it's a, it's a Sam it's a new coming as well. Who's another one that I'm a yeah. big fan of. And it's it's a new front office. So one of the things that you've seen with what they've done of late, like I I didn't like the Philip Broberg pick last year in the top eight. Would have much rather had Trevor Zegers. But you can see, I just I prefer forwards over defensemen, especially that high in a draft. And another way to but, say it is, you prefer good players over not as good players. <laughs> but Broberg is tracking very well, right? Like he's doing quite well in Sweden now and he blew everyone away when he came over. Like this pick very much tracks with what they did last year with the Broberg pick in that they're drafting these players who look, they're NHL caliber athletes and then they're just hoping that the skills fill in after. So this is a big, fast, strong kid who sure doesn't seem like he's got the st- like the statistical track record that he's going to be a fantastic NHLer, but he's probably going to be an NHLer. And if you think that I'm describing Andrew Cogliano, well, I'm not quite <laughs> describing him because Cogliano was a little bit slighter, but the reality is they will, I think they're at the point where they're just like, Hey, we need NHL players. Like we can't fuck up. We're not taking swings. We just want NHL caliber athletes and we have to have, players on cheap entry-level contracts while we still have McDavid and Dreisaitl signed. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, and, you know, kind of using Cogliano as a a worst-case example, it sounds like, but he actually had a pretty decent NHL career. And there was a few years in in the middle there where, uh, once he got out of Edmonton, he he was all right. He was a good player. Look, let's, like, honestly, once you get to... I mean, even 14 in the draft. Now, there, there's players, like we talked about Connor Zary, where I think they can be top six players, and maybe Holloway can be a top six player in Edmonton. But I think there was more projectable top six players in this draft where they took them. But once you're getting into the 
teens and 20s, like it's less likely that you're going to land a superstar and more likely that you're just going to get a run-of-the-mill NHL player. So Cogliano, he was like 25th or something like that in his draft, and it wasn't a great draft year, I, I, if I recall correctly. So they got an NHL player, and they got a fantastic one. Yeah, And it just, he had a better career outside of Edmonton after they 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 probably rushed him a little bit and they gave up on him. And that's, you know, that's the decade of sadness. It is what it is. But but Cogliano is a success story. I don't know what to tell you. He is. All right. So wrapping up our first round, uh, Ridley Grieg, Maverick Bork, and believe it or not, Yegor Chinnikov snuck into our first round as well. Uh, I think that it's interesting how a lot of fantasy drafts mirror the NHL draft, but you know, that's, that's GM's pick list. And I think that is a potential recipe for disaster. If you see a player who uh, was an NHL first round pick and he's, you know, kind of sliding in your fantasy draft, there might be a pretty good reason why Uh, we talked about Yegor Chenikov already. So I don't think we need to go there. Uh, I was certain that he was going to be an auto draft pick that for someone who failed to show up for their, their draft pick. We have a slow draft in this league, so you have a six-hour window to make your pick. But from time to time, life gets busy. Some people just have work or weddings or whatnot. They have babies, and they miss their pick. And the auto-draft is the next highest draft-ranked player available. And so Yeager Chenikov went in the first round, which made him a pretty high-ranked player. And let's um, be clear, he was not an auto-draft pick. Right. Like someone... Um, Someone with some brass ones is equally <laughs> pleased with the brass ones of Yarmo Kikalainen that they went yeah. in and, and followed him on that pick. And we'll see if it pans out because, you, you know, what he's putting up numbers in the KHL and maybe we'll all look foolish for questioning it. Maybe there's there has been players that have kind of, you know, all of a sudden come out of nowhere and then they are the hottest thing. So now we're into round two. I don't want to go pick by pick through round two, but I'm not sure if you're looking at our our draft board right now, but are there any picks in here that jump out at you positively or negatively that that you want to talk about? I can see a a few players who I think are interesting. Uh, You picked picked Yen Maisak at 30, and you had another pick at 38 where you broke my heart and took Tristan Robbins. And I think that's all the picks you had in this round. And I traded uh, down from 8 to 10, and I got 35, and I took Ozzy Weisblatt with that pick. So some picks that stand out for me. I'm just going to tell you. So I talked about Jarvis was number 8 on my list. Lindell was 9. And then I had a tier below that with Connor Zary, Maverick Bork, and Jan Mysak, who... I think they can all be top six centermen and they're all tracking statistically like they're going to be top six scoring forwards. So I had them in a tier on their own in my top 12. So, I mean, Bork going at the end of our first round, I think that's a value pick. I thought um, I thought being able to get my sack at 30 was a value pick. I had Noel Gundler also on my list in this section because he was one of the only guys left in my tier after Mysak and uh, Zary and Bork. But uh, I ultimately opted for the guy I think could play center, and it sure doesn't seem like Gundler's going to play center. So center bias, that's what I opted for. 
And then, I mean, I had just finished up doing the Pacific breakdown with Joel Henderson, who covers the WHL um, proper. And he was glowing about the San Jose Sharks draft in general, but Mm -hmm. like Tristan Robbins was his favorite player. So I am more than happy to appeal to authority on stuff like this. And once we get to this point in the draft, there, there was a few players that I was looking at, but ultimately like I I would have preferred to just trade back, but um, failing that I took Robbins who authority speaks that he's uh, potentially the best player coming out of the WHL this year. Yeah, he spoke the same way about him on this podcast when he was on, and uh, I was kind of hoping that I could have got him when I picked in the third round with pick 59, um, but that didn't happen. And I was pretty happy with Ozzy Weisblatt. I think he's going to uh, fill a lot of the categories that we track in our in our league here too. A couple other uh, import or free agent players that were selected in this round um alexi melnichuk san jose sharks signed him he's uh probably going to be in the ahl um could see some time in a backup position in the nhl if things go south for either of their starting goalies and that's a distinct possibility if melnichuk uh is playing well so there's yeah i i I thought that was a much better value pick than the undrafted free agents that went in our first round, right? Like once you're, you're firing darts outside of the top 30, right? And so this was a pick outside of the top 30 and the upside of getting a, an NHL goaltender is huge, right? Like if you can get a goaltender, like if even Mike Smith is making $2 million a year, then getting any goaltender for cheaper than that is, is probably going to be pretty valuable. So while, if he doesn't turn it into an NHLer, then it's a busted pick. But if he plays games, then he's going to be a valuable asset where you don't have to necessarily have a second goaltender on the roster, like on your main roster. But if he does get called up, then suddenly you can call him up and he's a, he's a valuable flex position for you there. So I thought there was tremendous upside value in that pick. I think that just with the saves category in our league, just being able to throw a starter out there, even if they get shelled, like if you can hold your own in saves, that that could be a game changer for you in a week if you don't even have strong goaltending. So I, I thought that was a, a very valuable pick, not knowing the player from Adam, but just understanding that he's going to a very weak depth chart and there's going to be an opportunity there. Yeah, he was high on my list as well. Um and the other player that I that I was going to talk about is Brinson Pashanuk, uh, signed out of Arizona State, and he's who signed him. Having to bring San cards. Jose. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, and San Jose's prospect pool is a very shallow one. So that's something that I like as well. Uh, Martin Chromiak was a highly ranked player on a lot of draft rankings and was in this range. He ended up going 45th overall, uh, fell really hard on draft day. Uh, he went late into like the fourth or fifth round or something like that, uh, but didn't phase Nashville. Nashville didn't use the NHL draft board and, and went by 
the uh, the online rankings and, and picked him here. I thought that was a decent pick. I would have picked him in the third round uh, had he been available to me down there. Um, so I sad to see him go. Another player that was picked just before me, the kind of one of those situations where I wasn't sure if I was going to take Jake Neighbors or Ozzy Weisblatt. And Jake Neighbors went right before I picked, so that just kind of made my decision easy for me. Uh, but I think I probably would have also picked Jake Neighbors before Ozzy Weisblatt. Uh, again, a lot of rotor, rotary value. Uh, Jacob Pro also went in this round too. Third, third pick in the second round, 27th overall. I thought that was a player that easily could have filled in on our first round somewhere. Uh, same with Tyson Forrester, who was first in the second round. Yeah, those guys were in my next tier with the Dawson Mercer, Jack Quinns, Noel Gunlers of the world. And I, I want to talk about the Murat Kuznetinov pick by your dad. So how did he catch on to this tiny but fiery kid playing in the MHL? Uh, I have no idea. It wasn't for me. I don't really have a file on him. So, like, I love the player after having spoken to Will Scouch and, you know, watched his scouting breakdown on him, like seems like a player that you're going to be super excited to track for years, but, and and potentially a a ton of value there if he ends up being a player because he he currently plays at the center position. And if you've got this, this exciting young centerman, that's, that's going to be a tremendous value pick in this league. But for me, how long is the wait time going to be? Because always with these Russians, it's how long is the contract? Will they sign an extension? How long does it take to develop? He's still like it's it's post draft and he's still playing in the MHL. How many years is he going to play in that league before? And is he going to get professional minutes in the KHL? And I, I just love the player, not necessarily a player I would want to invest in for a fantasy league this high, just because of how long that wait might be. Yeah, it's a thing, and it kind of goes against the trend of his traditional draft pattern, which is taking 24-year-old free agents uh, or, or you know, older players, not necessarily 24. Um, and he was a second-round uh, 37th overall pick by the Minnesota Wild. So, you know, it's it's in this he's in this wheelhouse for, for the draft board, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, I guess we'd have to have him on the podcast and ask him why he took him. Yeah, I... Like I, I was amazed that he didn't take someone like Artem Zub. <laughs> well, he's the dude's Toronto the dude's didn't sign play. him, right? But <laughs> Ottawa did, so I, I assumed he would have, he would have, that would have, uh, that headline would have come across his page. Didn't you pick Artem Zub? Yeah, much round, later in the draft. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, so round three. Um, yeah, can see. we can we talk about this? So. Yeah. What's that? Like, so uh, I, I take a pick at 38 and then I don't have picks for a while after. And I'm trying to trade up for basically forever. And then two picks before the pick that I was finally able to trade up for, the guy that I wanted was Jack Akon. Like I, like I said off the hop, he's a, he's a Tory Krug-esque type player. So I thought there was tremendous value there at this point in the draft outside of the top 30 there was value in a player who I don't think he's going to step in right away, but the farther out that we get from 
his last college season, the more physically developed he's going to be. And so, and the, the fewer left-handed defensemen that the Bruins sign, the more liable he is to be able to potentially jump up into that lineup. And like, it's kind of plug and play on that top power play unit. Like certainly Krug added something to it. He's such a dynamic player, but like Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron, it's kind of, that's easy money on that top power play unit. So even if it takes a year for him to fully develop, that's going to be faster than any defenseman you're picking in this draft, like out of the 18 year olds. So I thought that was a huge upside pick and it went two picks ahead of me. So I ended up settling for Artem Zub. And like well, that's that is a, a that's a crappy player. crappy consolation prize. Oh, uh, like I'm miffed about it. I am upset. <laughs> Jack I was Sean, distraught. Jack Ashawn was uh, was really high on my list too. Um, I had how okay. So like, how do you not take him ahead of Pius Suter? Uh, because Pius Suter is a forward. Right, but I just I I don't see. He that. wasn't even my my top ranked college defenseman. I had two guys ahead of him. Really? Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Who did you have ahead of him? Uh, Brinson Pashanek, who was picked okay. in the second round, just, you know, about 15 picks before him. Yeah. And uh, Connor Mackey. Who you got later? I got way later. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Super stoked about that. Yeah. 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 Um, so t- talk to me about Mackey. What makes him better than Jack Ashawn? Is he going to have a better opportunity there in Calgary? Not necessarily. Uh, so they're both 23 years old. Um, I first time I saw Jack Ashawn play was in Oshawa with Team USA at a World Junior um, exhibition game uh, when Toronto and Montreal were, were hosting. And I was like, who is this guy? I'd never heard of him before uh, until I saw him live. And uh, he, he played limited, so he didn't have a lot of ice time in that game. He didn't end up making the team either. He was a late cut. Um, but it got him on my radar. And I was pretty impressed with what I saw from him. I was like, okay, you know, he's, he's not he's not great, but I can see why he got the invite. Um, and then so I kind of followed him a little bit through his college career. And um, he's been on my radar for a long time. I've been hoping that he would sign uh, and that I could, you know, scoop him up as a free agent for free. Uh, but he signed, of course, when it's in our window where he goes in the draft so wasn't able to scoop him up uh i had someone on the podcast talking to me about uh ncaa players um i'm having a hard time remembering his name right now which is which is terrible but uh he really tipped my hat to connor Mackey. he said there's two players who are coming out of college this year that no one really knows about and both of them are going to be in the nhl and one of them was Connor Mackey, and the other one was John Leonard, uh, who's drafted by San Jose um, and is just kind of a late bloomer. But he's like, and he was a Hobie Baker finalist, maybe even a, a, a finalist, a nominee, but maybe even a finalist. Um, and Connor Mackey, 6'2", 200, 23 points in 34 games. And uh, I think he's got an opportunity to see some NHL minutes, maybe this season, um, but probably next depending on what other players they sign in the meantime. Well, uh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. What, what type of game does he play? Uh, it's a two way kind of game. 
you know, so he's uh, he can put up offense and he's 6'2", 200. It's kind of hard to get a, a gauge on the physicality in NCAA without watching a lot of the games because there's no fighting. Mm. Right. So if he's, you prob- see, he's probably going to be bottom four, though. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it's pretty hard to get a, a, an undrafted player coming out of college, sign as a free agent at, you know, 23 years old. That's going to be anything more than a bottom pairing anything. But what you can get. Well, is Tory Krug did it. Very hard. I didn't say impossible. <laughs> very, very hard. Very no, hard. Look, look, you're, you're, you're telling, you're, you're giving me an exciting package. I think that, I mean, the Flames, they spent four years and four and a half million on a player who's probably seen most of the tread wear off their tires from as Nate Schmidt put it, eating pucks for the uh, Vancouver Canucks for most of his career. So, I mean, it would have been nice if, if Connor Mackey was ready right away and maybe they didn't have to make that signing and they could have invested that money somewhere else because, um, yeah, the the defense pipeline is thinning out a little bit for them and they lost TJ Brody. So, yeah, if they can get an NHL defenseman, that's that's excellent. Music to my ears. Joe Maloney. That's that's who was the the guest from College Hockey News came on uh, and talked about college hockey players. So, uh, yeah, thanks Connor for Mack. the tips, Joe. Could have used yeah. those a little while back, but I, you know, oh, you uh, listened to my podcast. You would have known all. You about told him. me I wasn't allowed to listen to those ones, so I didn't. That's true. I did. I'm I'm a man <laughs> of my word. I'm a fan of the pod, but I'm also a man of my word. So I had a, a couple picks in round three. Uh, getting back to our draft, I had back-to-back picks at 59 and 60, and I kind of rolled the dice a little bit on Will Cooley, and then I just flat out went with my heart with with Zade Wisdom. Um, Love the name. One of the best names in the draft. You know, he's just one of those players that he's so fun to watch. His rookie season in the OHL, uh, I started calling him Charlie Hustle because he was just the hardest-working player every shift, every game. Um, not the most talented player. Kingston was bottom feeder that year too. Like they were just the doormats of the league. They were absolutely awful. This past season was his sophomore season, and he rode shotgun with Shane Wright. And I've talked about him a couple times on this podcast before. And the progression I've seen in his game from his first game in the OHL to where he is now uh, has been remarkable. He still competes just as hard but his skill level is starting to match his effort level, which is kind of scary. Um, you know, his ability to receive passes in stride is night and day. And um, can't the coach can't just, just can't play him enough. Maybe it's because the lack of other better options on Kingston's roster, they're, they're not that deep yet. Um, but I also really like the fact that... Um, uh, coach uh, Paul McFarland is coming back too. And he had some success in Kingston and developed some players really well in Kingston. So I, I'm excited to see what McFarland can mold him into. And he's the kind of player that McFarland will love. Uh, and he's the first player or one of the first players out of the 2020 draft class signed to a contract. Philadelphia's already signed him. Uh, so I like that little chestnut too. Will Cooley is a player who gets a lot of comparisons uh, to to Wilson and if he can you know make it to the NHL and just 
pile up a ridiculous amount of penalty minutes and hits and block shots and, and points would be gravy, then then there'd be value in that in the third round. Are you talking about Wilson, the volleyball, or are you talking about Tom Wilson, the Washington Capitals pugilist? Well, is there a bad choice there? I mean, if he can be like Wilson, the volleyball, then, you know, I'd be all right with that, too. Everyone loves Wilson. I mean, Tom Hanks certainly did. He sure did. He almost drowned for him. Uh, I would have. <laughs> Let's put that up there. It's the hot take of the podcast. Would right. you drown for this player? Uh, i drown for all of them. This is interesting. You took Ryan O'Rourke, and he's a defenseman, and he's a defensive defenseman. So that's kind of in the face of some of the things that you've been that you've been saying. Uh, talk to me about your decision to draft Ryan O'Rourke, sixty seventh overall in the third round. So I don't necessarily agree with the assessment that he is a, just purely a defensive defenseman. Um, a lot of this is based on the conversations that I've had on my podcast with prospect Knicks. Um, I have w- one individual um, went as far as to compare him to Duncan Keith, and I think that's far too lofty. But I think that the comparison was purely based on the hard work, seriousness, character aspect. And you just look at the statistical profile, and I think there's way more offense there. He projected out of the CHL defensemen, he, looking at Mason Black's PNHLE, was the fifth highest ranked defenseman in terms of uh, projected offense, projecting to be roughly a 52-point defenseman. And I mean, honestly, with offense from defensemen, it's so situationally based, right? So I don't know that he's going to come anywhere near that. It's going to depend on his usage. We'll see what the Minnesota Wild blue line looks like when it's all said and done. But I love their draft. I'm really starting to get in on this team. And I think that by the time he's ready to play, that there's going to be some room for him. Like certainly all those veteran defensemen that they've got signed are still going to be there. But I don't know if Matt Dumba is going to be there. And I don't know if Ryan Suter or... Jared Spurgeon are going to be getting top power play minutes. And I don't know if they're still going to be committed to playing two defensemen on their top power play. And certainly it's not Jonas Brodine's game to play in that offensive role. So I think that there's going to be room for him in three, four years to become a top offensive defenseman in the league. Should he prove to be that, caliber of player and just looking at my list of defensemen that I would have drafted I had him number two and because I don't know what the projection is necessarily going to be for the European defenseman William Wallander was probably near the top of my European defenseman list and he goes to the Detroit Red Wings at number 32 and he seems more like a uh Philip Broberg type in that he's supremely athletic and we'll see what those de- those athletic tools develop into. And then you look at some of the other CHL defensemen that were out there. And I think the like two of the other top projectable 
defensemen were William Villeneuve and Jeremy Poirier. And those guys went much later in the draft because of, let's say, concerns about their defensive abilities. And certainly you would rather, like what happens with a lot of these offensive players is they don't end up actually translating the offense and then they learn how to play defense, but it's the skills that they have that end up translating and they becoming they end up becoming NHLers. I don't know if that's necessarily the recipe for Jeremy Poirier, who a lot of people are thinking maybe he has to become a winger at the next level. And William Villeneuve, uh, again, like who knows what he's going to turn into but just the statistical profile and everything that i heard from folks sounds like he's the hardest working most serious kid in the room he was their captain at 17 uh there for the sioux greyhounds and yeah i don't know i just kind of fell in love with the kid's story and i like him as a player too i'm a big fan and then there's a lot to like about him i think his nhl certainty is high I'm just not sure where his fantasy upside lies. But, I mean, when you're talking about defensemen, especially with our league, he's going to play in the NHL. He's going to be a leader on his team, and he's going to play a lot of minutes. Now, he might not see a lot of power play time, and he might not you know, put up a lot of points necessarily, but he'll see a lot of minutes, and you'll certainly rack up the the hits and the blocks. So he'll get to see some some gravy stats from the defenseman. And if he's not scoring 40 points a season, then he's probably also not likely to broach your $4 million threshold either. So Well, he can definitely skate and hold a stick at the same time. So I would bet he clears that on on a contract at some point. We had an interesting little run of defense in our in our draft in the late in the third round here between picks 65 and 68. Uh, players that we've just been talking about, Connor Mackey and then Shakir Mukamadoulin falls out of the first round from the NHL draft to nobody's surprise. Uh, it picked way after Chinnikov, actually, uh, at the bottom of the third round. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke, who you just talked about, and then Jeremy Poirier, who is the exact opposite of Ryan O'Rourke, whose NHL certainty is very low, but his fantasy upside is is pretty high. Um, fourth round, I don't know how much we want to go into the, the fourth or fifth rounds. These are some, some players who probably all have very little upside of making it to the NHL and round. Well, Pete, you've got some picks in round four and five. So why don't we just talk about who you were really excited to pick? I had one pick in the fourth round and we can talk about him after, but I, I'd really be curious to know who you were taking a flyer on and who you were excited to take a flyer on. Sure. Uh, fourth round, I picked, uh, I had one pick in the fourth round, but I got a bunch in the fifth. So the fifth round, I took uh, Josh Maniscalco, who's another NCAA free agent signing out of Arizona State, uh, signed by Pittsburgh. Um, he's a... Uh, He's recruited by by Mario. I think he played hockey with uh, Mario's kid somewhere along the line. So that's how they're how he's on their radar. Uh, but he went to uh, I gotta look it up. But he had a, a good uh, high school kind of career, but wasn't drafted, and then played in the NCAA. I gotta look him up. Hold on a sec. Well, I'm a I'm a big fan of the NCAA development model for 
players who need to do some physical development because they don't play as many games. So they've got time to get in the gym and really master that side of things. So if they do end up proving to have pro potential, it sure seems like they know how to take care of themselves at the next level because they developed those skills. Yeah. So he's 21 and he's 6'2", 200 pound defenseman. Uh, He played Shattuck St. Mary's. We've known a few good players to come out of there. Uh, played on the uh, U.S. Uh, NDP team. He had uh, 30 penalty minutes, six points there um, in his first year. Uh, and then he played in the USHL, where he had 32 points in 59 games and had 70 penalty minutes. And then he's played two seasons in Arizona State. And last season, he had 11 goals, uh, which is pretty good for a defenseman in any league. And 32 points in 36 games. So, you know, he's he's not having that massive explosion out of nowhere in one year. He's had some, you know, good good production along the way. 32 points in 59 games in the USHL. And then 20 points as a NCAA rookie. And then 32 points the following season. So he's, you know, he's projecting up. And while he was never drafted, uh, he's still only 21 years old. So he's still in a, a developmental stage and he could still get a lot better. And another thing I like about him is Pittsburgh's prospect pool is a barren wasteland. There is literally no competition in his way. <laughs> Pittsburgh's terrible. So he could... Well, th- uh, let's be clear. They are awesome as an NHL team. And if anyone's going to get, like, come out of complete obscurity to turn into a fantasy superstar... It's going to be someone on Pittsburgh because they've done it way too many times. Sure. <laughs> it could, it, it, I'm hoping it happens with this guy. Uh, okay, so in the fifth round, I have four picks. I just made a trade to get two more. I probably overpaid, but whatever. You did, but we won't get into it. Okay, yeah. Uh, so with the 100th overall pick, I took uh, Yegor Aksentiak who uh, is played in the OHL last year, and he's a little fiery ball of energy that um, bounces around all up and down the ice and has some hands, a little on the undersized size. I mean, we're not talking uh, five foot five or anything, um, not uh, Sean Doogie small, but uh, he's a little on the small side. And then pick 107 that I made just before jumping on the show, I took Alexander Passion, who kind of fits that same profile. So these are some players I'm I'm throwing Hail Marys at. They're either going to never play a game in the NHL or even come back to North America, or or they're going to make it and they're going to be top six. So, so uh, I was considering trying to trade back into this draft class for Alexander Passion because... Well, like we talked about with the Carolina Hurricanes, it sure seems like they right. just take these high upside swings and players that people on public uh, publicly posted boards seem to love or at least think could be that home run hit. So I considered trading back in for him, and I also considered trading back in for Sean Farrell, who went at some point here in the fifth round, because yeah. I think those Chicago Steel kids out of the USHL, they all kind of fit that statistical profile where they could end up being David Backus type or Joe Pavelski type scores at the NHL level. They're they're on that track now, whether they actually 
get to be that caliber of player. And I'm not saying that they're going to be that type of player, but just in terms of the point scoring, they're on that track record now with what they did in the USHL as uh, draft eligible players. So I got two more picks in the fifth round, uh, two in the next five, actually. And I've got about seven players who are still on my pick list. So I am assured to get two of these players. Do you want to know who those guys are? And in oh, no en- Enlighten me. I'm going to make fun in- of at least one of them. Absolutely. You can probably make fun of a couple. Uh, in no particular order, Evan Veerling. Uh, coming coming out of the OHL. Um, I had Brock Otten on my podcast talking about OHL guys for the draft. And I asked about Dark Horses, and he listed him. Uh, He went 120-somethingth in the NHL draft, so really not a reach here. Uh, You know, it's just kind of right about where where he's valued. Um, Had a slow start in, I think it was Flint where he started, and then he ended up in Barrie and uh, started clicking there. Uh, Barry's a rebuilding team too, so gets lots of ice time. Uh, didn't get the goalie that I wanted with uh, uh, what's his nuts that went to San Jose, but uh, uh, Demchenko, I think is his name. The the Russian goalie, the silly signed. Demchenko, the twenty six yeah. year old. Yeah, yeah, signed by Montreal. I have an aversion to Montreal players, and you know they've kind of got a few good goalies in his way, so I don't really like his chances of usurping either Carey Price uh, or Primo. So I'm not really not sure. Not to mention where... Jake Allen's in the mix. Right. So I'm not really sure where the value is with him if he'll ever come to North America. So uh, uh, another goalie that I would be a little bit more inclined to take would be uh, Miftikov, the overager who played for the Russians at the World Juniors. Um Took based over on, by, based by on the very few games that I watched both of them play, I think that Miftahov is the better goaltender. Me no, too. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> he played better really? than him that one time. Are you talking about him or Askarov? Oh, I'm saying that he was better than Askarov, but I'm being oh, sarcastic. Okay. I'm being oh, glib. Right. You're talking about Denishiko. No. Okay. But Miftikov was better than Demchenko. I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but definitely not better than Askarov. Uh, put them both together, and they're still not better than Askarov's left leg. Mm. Um, Johan Kinval is another player who I'm I'm looking at. Uh, another import free agent signing by the Flames, actually. Uh, Linus Sandin, brother of Leafs Rasmus Sandin, um, playing with Philadelphia's organization. <laughs> Antonio Stranges, uh, you know, you got to like the players coming out of London Knights. They know how to develop players. There's some concerns with his game, so I'm a little hesitant. Should Another he just NCAA be a figure fight? skater? Like, yeah, right? <laughs> Honestly, like he, he clearly has this one incredible talent, and it's in a sport that's different than the one that he's playing. Yeah. Yeah, like be yeah. one of those athletes might... that just changes sports. A little bit like Jeremy Bracco, but with less offensive upside. So, hmm. And, and a little bit less consistency. Mm, not really sure that's convincing me to draft him. Mark McCallis is uh, a, a NCAA player signed by Vancouver. Uh, Julie Robenheimer's uh, won my podcast. I asked her about college players, and she spoke pretty highly about him about this time last year, saying that he would be the best NCAA free agent signee um, I don't think that's the case, 
Uh, but he had a pretty good season. He had a pretty good career. But he's on the older side, right? He's like 24, I think. So mm. he's kind of already pretty developed. Uh, not sure that he's going to make it out of the AHL. Uh, Ilya Solovyov, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, kind of similar to Oksentiak. Uh, but I went with Oksentiak over Solovyov. Um, he's a defenseman, actually. And I saw him play live uh, when they came through in Ottawa. And I was like, holy smokes, look at this kid's stats. He's like leading the OHL in defense scoring. And he's draft eligible. And how have I never heard of him? And I watched him play. And he wasn't a top pairing defenseman for them. So I'm not really sure how he managed to rack up as many points as he did. Um, I guess it was because he's playing with Saginaw. And he had Cole Perfetti to pass the puck to. Um, and last but not least, Artyom Galyamov, who might have been picked. I'm not sure. I have to update my draft list. I was mm. kind of busy. Today. And maybe well, Lucas Cormier. Lucas Cormier is at the bottom of my list. I'm not going to be able to make fun of any of those picks because, because this is well beyond my capacity. So thanks for carrying the wood. The <laughs> those this last little while. How's your back, Pete? Uh, it's fine. I haven't heard of any of those guys besides Miftikov. I mean, I've heard of the odd one, but I don't have an opinion. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't have much of an opinion either. I mean, I've, I've seen a few of them play very briefly, like maybe one game, maybe a couple games on TV. Um, most of it is just from online research and, uh, and reading other people's thoughts about them. Um, but, you know, they're late picks or never picked. So that, that says something to where they're at but uh i feel like they're all players that you could uh you could get lucky on um but it might take some time so we'll see i mean i i think you got to take a goalie somewhere in here right why because the the high upside fair enough take I a swing no one know, no one knows anything just pick a goalie that got drafted in the sixth round and see what happens i was really hoping that columbus would draft a goalie this year so that I could take them super late and then watch them turn into a starter, because uh, apparently every Columbus goalie turns into a starting goalie. One goalie I'm trying to get in a trade that I, I haven't been able to pull the the trigger on. Well, you're gonna is, lose uh, that Vin- trade. Vinny Vehalainen. Mm. Love me some Vinny. I thought you were going after Daniil Tarasov, and I was gonna tell you that you would lose that trade. Nope. Fear not. Not going there. Lineman is your guy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But I've said too much. <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty much uh, pretty much a wrap on, on our draft. Uh, I love doing the fantasy drafts, and the timing of our draft is fantastic because it comes right on the heels of the NHL draft. So the NHL draft is fresh on everyone's mind. It also runs congruently with free agency which kind of adds another layer because you've got opportunities opening and closing in other teams um, and you're picking players thinking wow there's you know there's no competition for them on the roster there and then two days later they they sign a seven million dollar player to plug that hole um and you know you you see where players are drafted in the nhl and the impact that can have on on their fantasy value um it certainly moves the needle on my draft list it moves players up when teams like um, Carolina or, you know, a team I like, like Toronto, 
uh, drafts them, gives me something to, to look forward to and cheer for, and it moves them down when teams like Buffalo or the New York Minnesota, Islanders apparently, or Minnesota picks them exactly. You will rue um, this, Pete. You will rue this. Add it to the laundry list of things that I rue. It's get it, take a number and get in line. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the Minnesota Wild aren't going to be looking to cash that in. Yeah. Uh, okay, Steve, any final parting thoughts on any of the stuff we talked about or, or the draft? Well, I just think that, you know, you mentioned the timing of when our draft takes place. It comes right after the NHL draft. And I mean, it's obvious that that fact has a tremendous impact on where people are drafting players, right? You see a player go in the first round of the NHL draft and suddenly that you want to take them with a first round pick as well. And I think that if we did this before the NHL draft, then it wouldn't be able to impact things. You would just be able to read uh, the public lists and and base your knowledge on that and, and what scouting you've done yourself. I wonder what would happen if we waited two months and then had our draft. What uh, What kind of impact, how would things change for our fantasy draft? Are we timing it at the right time is the question that I'm asking. Well, it would certainly have an impact because you would have some other factors that would come into perspective, right? Like if you had it right before the NHL season started, you would have a summer's worth of prospect camps on a normal year, a summer's worth of prospect uh, and development camps and, and preseason. And you'd have guys that are, you know, not cut yet and are still on the team. And I think a lot of what influences the draft, the fantasy draft is like what you said, picking players who you think could step in right away, like Marco Rossi, right? So Marco Rossi's picked by Minnesota. We go to, say he's picked at the NHL draft in, in the end of June, and you pick him the 1st of July, and then you have a prospect camp, and, you know, he kind of wets the bed. Does he move down your list? And now you're going into... Uh, preseason and he's already reassigned just before we do our draft he gets reassigned back to the CHL for a full year can't come back does that move him down your list or do you still take him at three mm -hmm. yeah that well I think that would certainly have an impact so I'm wondering well, I, I think maybe we're not doing it right like that added information would change things I guess depends on what you value at this point but I think that having that added information would be valuable. But I think that the nature of our league being online, you kind of need to have that summer or in this case, fall break where you can do the draft over a long period of time. And if you were butting up against the NHL season, you might not get that draft off in time. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what it would be like if we did our draft before the NHL draft. I mean, the, the biggest obstacle with that would be we can only draft players who have been drafted, right? And then in every mm -hmm. draft, you have players who go, surprisingly, undrafted. So what if someone drafts one of those guys that goes undrafted? Does he have to drop him? Can he hold on to him? Does that totally uh, eliminate the the rule where you can't have players who, who don't have their NHL rights on? Because then that would have an impact on our free agency as well, right? Like you see these prospects tear it up in the NCAA or in Europe, and then you think, well, as soon as that guy signs, I'm putting in a waiver claim on him. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have to wait for the waiver claim. You don't have to wait for the contract. You can just add them. 
So that would kind yeah. of diminish yeah, the value be a game of the draft. It would, yeah. So the timing of the draft is is really essential. Yeah. I'm not sure that we're doing it right, but uh, we're gonna, probably going to stick with it because the uh, the Pressing. logistics of things. Logistics, It's a, you always forget about them. Well, it's a thing. Um, and as much as we couldn't do our league any other way than than the slow draft, which runs the course of, you know, almost a week, I think it goes. Uh, yeah, at least a week. Yeah, it's um, been a week now. That's cool, right? Like, it bothers me when you get people who get really, you know, sugar happy and they're like, you know, heckling people saying, hey, stop wasting time. Make your pick. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Make your pick. It's like, look, man, the season doesn't start till new year <laughs> we I got just, like we got four i just want to take a bath in these out. picks i want we to take a bath in yeah we got, four I got my prospect time, list man. i printed off multiple copies i poured them into my bathtub i'm i'm literally swimming in this draft let me let me bask in it i want to i want to feel the flow a little bit you know you know what i really 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 miss though is i'm not in a live draft like where everyone gets together and you sit in a room and you get kind of drunk and you make picks and you heckle each other and you have like two minute clock to make your pick. Uh, I haven't been in a, in a live draft for a number of years. It's all online for me now. And I, I really miss that. That's a that's a fun event. Yeah, I've been doing things like calling in and, and zooming in or, or whatever it is to my draft with my university friends when I'm actually able to make those and I haven't made one in a couple of years, but, um, yeah, those, those are probably the, the most fun. I know for my other online league where I took Lafreniere number one overall, I delayed the draft by an hour because I wanted to get everyone or as many people in the league as we could on a zoom call. And then I trotted out a, uh, New York Rangers jersey and say, well, I'm taking Lafreniere, number one overall. And I put the jersey on and we had some pageantry and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. They are good times. They are good yeah. times. Have you ever been in an auction draft? Uh, yes, I did my first auction draft last year. It was online. So I, you didn't get the full juice out of it. But uh, honestly, like auction draft, if you're doing a one-year draft, it's the way to go. It's they so are- much fun. Is so much strategy is involved when it's your turn to nominate a player for draft. Do you do you nominate a player that that you want, or Always. do you or do you nominate a player that you want other guys to spend their money on? Right? I mean, you can definitely go that way, especially like so. This was this league we we've been going for a while, but this was the first year that we decided to do the auction thing because people got fed up of like the same teams getting the first pick and concern over some chicanery there so they said well fuck it we'll go auction then and it was the best choice ever and so a lot of us were learning the strategy on the fly and and figured out some of the mistakes that you can make pretty quick yeah you say always nominate a player that you want to draft i i'm the exact opposite i Mm. never until you know it's the last couple of picks maybe and i gotta fill up my roster or i gotta go or something but at the beginning i am nominating players i have no interest in owning because I want everyone else to spend their money on them so that when the guys I want come up, I have less competition. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun event. We should all get together and and have a, have a live draft auction one day. Mm Mm-hmm. 
All right. This has been a bit of a rambling end to this episode. So I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget, catch Steve's podcast, the Steve Laidlaw podcast, appropriately titled. And thanks for listening to this. If you like either one of these, you know, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. Uh, give us a five star review, make a comment, say how awesome we are. We got, uh, we got egos to boost and, uh, well, thanks for, uh, you know, not deleting me out of your podcast feed after I haven't had an episode for several months since the COVID lockdown kind of ended and I had to go back to work. So, uh, it's good to be back on the podcast and, uh, maybe I can get another one out here real soon. Steve, thanks for your time. You got anything else going on that you want to pump the tires on? No, that's it for me. I, I would just say that if you got any no- negative comments, you can uh, send those towards Pete. No, no, keep them, keep them on Steve's podcast. <laughs> I, I was honestly, I was just joking there. I will take any and every negative comment that people want to throw out there because I do have an ego that is too boosted, and I think it could use a little deflating. <laughs> you just we'll just view it as constructive criticism things things to not do like say um all the time which um i do um you don't say i don't say yeah all right man speaking of not saying let's uh let's cut this episode over uh thanks everyone for listening see you on the next show catch steve's steve see you in the draft room